0: Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. I'm so excited to be in week one of a new series that we're going to be focusing on throughout the month of July. This series is entitled, How Do You Know? I know you, you heard that just a couple minutes ago as we were announcing it. How do you know? What we want to do, and what I feel on my heart to lead us into as a church, is to try to address the issues of epistemology and how we discover what is true. Now, that word epistemology might have lost some people. Essentially, it is this, uh, the way in which we gather information that we call knowledge, the way that we experience knowledge. Now, I want to just say this as I begin, you know, today's going to be pretty conversational as we go through this together. Now, often, like by often, I don't mean seasonally, I don't mean monthly, and I don't even mean weekly. More than once a week, somebody would reach out and they would ask a question that sounds something like this, Pastor Justin, why doesn't the church talk more about blank? It's a great question. I actually love the question. I I love and I take seriously the honor that it is that people want to hear as best we can from the Word of God or want to hear as best they can from a a spiritual authority and we can can bat around ideas together and understand a little bit of how we uh, understand the world around us. And I'm going to do my best to answer that question briefly today. But in essence, I'll give the same answer here that I tend to give most often when i hear that from people why doesn't the church talk more about blank well the answer is this that that we will continue to speak and we'll be, we'll continue to talk and we we'll continue to have things to say but we believe that there are some things that are essential that we speak and we speak about always And other things that we we talk more and more and more about as we walk through life together. Now, you can imagine, I'm sure everyone who's watching today, you can imagine the difficulty that we have in a time like this when all uh, that we see on a Sunday happens on a YouTube link. All that we see in this type of setting happens only through a computer. But in the other 167 hours that take place in the week, church is still happening, So most often what I would answer to people, why doesn't the church talk more about this issue, which tends to be an issue that the person asking it is most passionate about. My answer is usually this. Oh, as a church, we do talk about that. We actually talk about that a lot. It's just not necessarily the thing that's gonna make it into every Sunday message. People tend to fill in that question with, why doesn't the church talk more about politics? Why doesn't the church talk more about a certain issue of social justice? Why doesn't the church talk more about finance? Why doesn't the church talk more about race? Why doesn't the church talk more about whatever that thing may be that they're passionate about? And and the reason is this, that there are some things we just must always talk about, and they become for us the building blocks upon which I think we can accurately and uh, authoritatively speak into all sorts of areas. Let Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Mark chapter to Mark chapter 2. I got my Bible here. I already turned to this part because sometimes uh, I get so excited about the things I'm talking about and then it's all the You know, flipping pages. Mark chapter two. In this story, we see Jesus perform what to me is one of his most memorable miracles. Check this out. Mark chapter two, starting in verse one. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man. They carried, uh, or he was carried, I should say, by all four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were there, and they were sitting, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He can forgive sin. Who can do that? Only God alone. Verse eight, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, now, how, how crazy is this? They're thinking things and Jesus addresses the thoughts that they have. Why? Because he knows everything. He's all knowing. And he says this, why are you thinking those things? Like, you got to think this, when he's speaking that he's looking at somebody, he's making eye contact with people. And he goes, why, why do you have those thoughts right now? He says this, Uh, Which is easier, for me to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or for me to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This. Now, in this story, what I note, among many other things, is that, similar to this man, I'm lame sometimes. What I note, among many other things, is I'm sure grateful that I have friends who know where to take me when I'm lame. What I note, uh, you know, above this is, is certainly that interaction Jesus has when he knows what they're thinking and he addresses it verbally. But what I also note is this, that the first most important and primary thing on Jesus' mind was this man's salvation. It was his eternity. It was his right standing and relationship with with God the Father. And before addressing anything else, he addresses the thing that matters to him the most, his salvation. He says, son, because of the faith of your friends and your faith in being here, your sins have been forgiven. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't address the, the broken system that didn't make room for a man who was lame to get to him? Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't address the clear vandalism and destruction to property that was taking place as this man was being lowered through the roof? Isn't it interesting that that Jesus didn't seem to even readily address this pressing, obvious need that the man was lame and desired to be healed? He started with the thing that mattered the most. He started with where he was in relationship to God the Father and he extended forgiveness. It's for this very reason that as a church, what we're always gonna do most, what we're always gonna do first is make sure that people get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Is it true that that I as a pastor have no thoughts on politics? Nope. Is it true that the Bible has nothing to say about justice? No. Is it true that organizationally as a group of people, we don't care about the things that matter to people in their day to day? Absolutely not. Nothing could be farther from the truth. But what is the most true is that there is nothing more important in any person's life than that simple question of of where are you in relationship to Jesus. That's why as a church, Vivid Church will always be about reflecting the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's someone there going, wait a minute, but Jesus did address other things. He he absolutely did, but he did it in that sequence. Imagine if, if, if Jesus, uh, as the man is being lowered, he's turning around saying, what is your problem? Look at, you didn't make room for this man. Imagine if Jesus looks up at the friends who had made this incredible move of faith and say, how how dare you deface someone's property? Or imagine if Jesus had simply just healed the man first and said, now you're healed, be gone. No, no, he, he builds one truth upon another, saved and healed. And the more you dig into the word, you find that it's not just saved and healed, but Jesus does have things to say about all the rest of it as well and so what we desire to do and really even over these next number of weeks in the month of june what we're we're looking to do is see can we get a few of these pieces right can we together discover some of these truths and 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 understand them in such a way that we're actually building one thought upon another it's the apostle paul who said this in second timothy chapter 2 in verse 15 when he's talking to this young man timothy and i i want to speak these words as if he was talking to to us directly today as well second timothy chapter 2 in verse 15 it says do your best to present yourself to god as one who's approved a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed who correctly handles the word of truth as best we can we just want to handle this word of truth well. We want to start with the thing that that matters most to God, that all men would be brought to salvation and that all women would be brought to salvation, that every child would, would be brought to salvation. The thing that matters most to God, he loved the world so much that he sent his son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And if we can start from there, it will actually begin to inform our opinions about everything. There's some things I care about a lot that I'm passionate about a lot that I would say, you know what, no matter how much I care about that thing, I'm willing to not engage on it alone because people's salvation matters more. Let me give you an example. Comfort. Comfort's awesome. I don't know about you, like wherever you're watching today, I hope you're comfortable. I, I hope you didn't put yourself in an uncomfortable position while watching church. Comfort is awesome, but comfort is not more important than salvation. what else is preference preference is is amazing doing the things that you most prefer when you most prefer them but but paul says this it's no longer i who even lives i died to myself so that that christ could be alive in me i've laid down the things i care about in the temporary because i care about people understanding truths for eternity so the best we can we're going to try to rightly handle the word of truth we're going to try to begin with the truth that matters most to jesus and we're gonna to try to establish a, an epistemology that allows us to answer questions the way that Jesus might actually answer them. You, I don't know if you're old enough to recall uh, a time where people used to wear WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? Fashion statement maybe, uh, definitely like a Christian fad for sure but also a question that just sort of is thrown out there and, and left open-ended. Well, what would Jesus do? And often we find ourselves in situations saying, I don't know. Like, like it's cool to consider what Jesus would do first, but I don't know what that answer is. And the more we develop an epistemology that's inconsistent with God's word, the more we develop a worldview in keeping with, with what God has revealed to us, the more we can find ourselves instantaneously or through some struggle coming to the conclusion this is what jesus would do now before we do anything along those lines we need to actually establish the the foundation of what is truth it's a question that's asked in in the bible actually Pilate asks jesus this when jesus is is on trial before he went to the cross he throws it out i believe with sarcasm ah truth what is truth And in our day and time, people are asking that question all the time. If you're taking notes today, the the message is simply titled, Feelings, Factions, and Facebook Feeds. Feelings, Factions, and Facebook Feeds. Unfortunately, there are too many people in our time who are determining what truth is based on their feelings, on the faction that they find themselves a part of, or on their Facebook feed. Like, Like what seems true one day or uh, a convincing argument is brought that emotes something within them; it changes the next day when their feelings change. Our feelings are way too fickle to trust for something as foundational as truth. The same would be true if you said it of factions. Factions, you say? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not part of. Uh, what was that book? Divergent. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. Factions, people, groups. Well, guess what? This happens in our our world all the time, where people say, I align with this group. And so whatever they say is true, count me in for that. If they say it's good, I'm good. Some people, they uh, they create factions based on their political perspectives. They say, I lean right, I lean left, I'm far right, I'm far left. Everyone often tends on the inside to think that they're in the center, but then when they get around someone who thinks different politically, they realize how far they might be. And and over time, people stop thinking for themselves, they just look to the faction that they find themselves a part of and say, well, what do we think about this? People also align in factions with uh, you know, popular figures or celebrities that they, they want to be like and want to emulate. And they go, if that person endorses it, I believe it. Other people have faction lines that are developed around maybe different things like uh, you know geopolitical groups or even neighborhoods or families. And they say, well, our family does this. And so I do that too. This group thinks that way. And so they think that way. But truth, it's got to be something that's actually bigger and more authoritative than just what a, a public opinion says. And then there's a lot of people, uh, an alarming number of people who develop their concept of truth based on their Facebook feed or feed of some sort, a Reddit, whatever it might be. The interesting thing about that is we've got these people uh, all around us who are developing their worldview based on an algorithm that is feeding them what they crave. Whatever they want to believe, they find themselves seeing because... The algorithm of every social media platform and every news outlet is intended to feed us what we were already craving. And so we find that the thing we thought was probably true anyway, must be overwhelmingly true because our Facebook feed told us so. Truth is not a matter of feeling. Truth is not just a matter of whatever faction you find yourself a part of. And truth is certainly not established our Facebook feed. In fact, I'm pretty fed up with the feed. I hope you can join me in getting fed up with the feed. Truth is is bigger than that. Truth is more foundational than that. There there is this uh, unfortunate thing. Remember those Snickers commercials? Remember the Snickers commercials where reality is one way until you've eaten a certain product, be it Snickers, and then reality changes? Like, your character traits change or the world around you change. It's an incredible formula for advertising campaign. It's just not true. These these people who tend to think based on feelings or factions or Facebook feeds that that there's just this thing that's going to shift and change and then truth snaps in line with it and reality snaps in line with it. Truth has to be bigger than that. As a dad there's uh, definitely certain responsibilities that I have found are unique to each one of my kids. And then there are some that have tended to seem universal. One of those ones is that at some point in the development of my kids, they hit a wall with math. Anybody else have that experience? Like, like they're enjoying math and then they hit a wall where they say it doesn't make sense anymore they they enjoyed the gross memorization of this plus this equals that and this times this equals that and then they hit a new way of thinking and and generally speaking in the life of of our family there is a series of days or weeks where i find myself at the dining room table late into the night And it's happened, I think, with each of our kids so far where we're working through a new concept, trying to understand truth. And maybe over the next few weeks, it's going to feel just a little bit like that. Here's what I want to do today. If I could, in the the few minutes we have left together, I want to give you a list of nine things that are true about truth. Nine things you say, why why, why nine? Well, one, I love the power of nine. It's a math thing. For those of you who love math, you know what I'm talking about. Two, I like asymmetry. Three, I think if I said, here's the 10 things about truth, you might be left to believe that these are the only 10 things true about truth. There's a lot more to be said about truth, but these are nine things that I think we need to establish together if we're gonna get the ball rolling. Number one, truth is objective. Someone in your mind right now is being blown and someone else you're saying, yeah, that's like saying red is red or water is wet or, or you know, Canada is beautiful. Pretty obvious. Truth is objective. No, no, no. Depending on the generation you grew up with, or you grew up in, this might not be such an easy concept to wrap your mind around. There are a lot of people in our world, there are a lot of people that we interact with, and, and I would venture to say, statistically speaking, there are a lot of people who are watching this feed right now that you're not so sure that truth is objective. You think truth maybe depends on on the person who's, who's grappling with it. It's like beauty, it's in the eye of the beholder. Truth, however, is objective. I don't, like I don't, love arguments. I don't think I love confrontation, but I kind of do. I kind of like finding myself in, in settings where, where there's a person who's passionate about one perspective and a person who's passionate about another perspective, like a debate and, and seeing how it's going to go. And, and if you ask Jennifer, she would say, I really love getting myself in the midst of those. One of my favorite ones is having a conversation with people who say truth isn't objective, it's just a subjective thing. Your truth is different than my truth, is different than their truth, and everybody has their own truth. You know the funny thing about that when people say something like truth is not objective? They are making an objective, truth-filled statement about the fact that truth is not objective. By the time they have finished uttering the sentence, they have proven their own point wrong. Truth, by very definition, is objective. Truth interacts with reality. I, I, I could make any claim that I want to, to make right now, a claim based on my feelings or uh, a faction that I find myself a part of or a feed that I've been fed, and me making that claim doesn't make it true. No matter how sincerely I might believe it, it doesn't make it true. No matter what motives I bring to the table, it doesn't make it true. When we talk about truth, we have to establish together the truth is objective, that, that, there are, <clears throat> that there are things that we just have to agree, this is true. That's why I talked about math before. I, I actually really enjoy math. I like all the subjects that, that we get to expose ourselves to. I love learning, but there's something so clarifying about math. I know I'm losing someone right now. You're like, I can't watch this anymore. If you talk one more thing about math, just stay with me. The thing I love about math is that there is a right answer. That to every problem, there is a right answer. It can be figured out and it can be solved. It's not just a matter of talking your way out of it. It's not just a matter of of feeling your way through it. There's, There's a right answer. And that's kind of what I mean when I say truth is objective. Number two, truth is offensive. By very definition, if there is objective truth, it means that there is also objective falsehood. Truth being objective means that something is untrue. It means that we, we come across things that are, are lies, that are deceptions, that are not true. Uh, uh, A.R. Bernard, who pastors an incredible church in New York, once I was in a conversation with him and he said this, and it's just stuck with me for years. He says, all truth is confrontational. Now there's someone right here, you don't like any type of confrontation, but you need to understand all truth is confrontational it is offensive to the one who doesn't believe it. It's for this very reason that, that, that I'm pretty passionate about making sure if we're gonna be offensive to people, let's let it be that we're offensive because of something that's actually true. I'm not looking to blow up relationships in my life because I, I have an offensive preference. I'm not looking to blow up relationship. People are just way too valuable because I have a feeling that's offensive or, or, or a different perspective on something that really doesn't matter. But when it comes to truth, yeah, it's offensive. Jesus was offensive to people who didn't want to believe him. The Bible is offensive to those who don't want to submit to it. Truth is objective. Truth is also by that very definition offensive. Number three, truth is authoritative. If truth is objective and offensive, meaning it disagrees with some things, then then I believe it's also authoritative. If something is true, then it shouldn't form the way we live. There are very few things more uh, intellectually dishonest than someone who says, I know that's true, but it doesn't matter. Or I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or I know that what I'm feeling right now is not to be trusted, but I'm still going to act upon it. Truth is not only objective and offensive. Truth is authoritative. Now, now I believe my, my perspective and my position will always be that the Bible is a foundational piece Uh, Of of truth. This is God's word revealed. And it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 that all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Scripture is authoritative. This word, if we believe it to be true, must be something that we submit to. Now, there, there are people... Unfortunately, far too many people who, because of their, uh, their religious perspective or because of their faith view and their, their faith-filled worldview, they spend all their time fighting about issues of morality. They spend all their time arguing on moral issues with other people. But if we can't agree that we align with the same authority, we're just saying these are rules I believe and someone else says, cool, I don't believe them. Too many people throw scripture and verse at someone who doesn't believe in the bible i would rather start with the bible that's why one of the weeks this month we're just going to look at why we can trust the bible why it is that we can put our trust in the the uh, god-breathed nature of his word why we can trust this book and believe that it's worth living by truth is objective truth is offensive truth is also authoritative i also want to say this that truth is eternal truth is eternal it's enduring that there are far too many things that we look at and we say well that maybe used to be true but but the world has changed we go yeah that was that was true but that was 10 years ago that was true, but that was last year. That was true. And I'm not talking about things like, uh, you know, in Canada, you can move about freely and you don't have to wear a mask and you can hang out with whoever you want. And we say, well, that was true, but not now. I'm not talking uh, about things that change seasonally, but enduring truth is actually eternal. Look what it says in the book of Psalm chapter 119 and verse 160. Psalm 119 and verse one sixty. Psalm one, nineteen, and verse one. 60. I'm going to turn there as these sirens pass by. Psalm 119 and verse 160. Speaking of truth, it says this, God, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. One of the most powerful things about the Bible is that it was true to the people who first heard it, and it endures today. The, the the Bible says this, that heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word, it's eternal. It lives on. It goes forward. And so... If we are trying to allow truth to inform our steps, which by the way, every person does, even those who think truth is subjective, have built every decision in their life based on that. They've said, I trust feelings more than I trust something that I believe to be factual. I'm gonna live by feeling, not by faith. I'm gonna live by my faction, not by a set of values. I'm gonna let my feed feed me instead of nourishing my own spirit and allowing it to inform my steps. Everybody lives out of what they believe to be true. Everybody is guided by their own epistemology. And as people of the word, we have to believe that God's word actually endures. If it was true yesterday, it's true today. It'll be true tomorrow. That's actually the very nature of God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. It's one of the greatest pieces of news I could ever share to you that God never changes. And you know what else is incredible? That I'm still changing. As I spend more time with my eyes fixed on Jesus, his unchanging nature is rubbing off on me and I'm becoming more like Jesus. He's changing me. Truth is objective, it's offensive, it's authoritative, and it's eternal. Number five, truth is experiential. Now, I know what someone's saying. You're like okay now we're talking about something subjective i see truth one way because of the things i've experienced you see truth a different way because of the things you've experienced that's not what i mean i guess maybe the better way to describe it is not that truth is based on experience but truth is experienceable it's experiential jesus said this in john 8 in verse 32 he says do the things that i'm saying and then you will know the truth and this word he uses no means to experience he says when you put this into practice you will actually experience the benefits of truth there are way too many people who know the right answer but never follow through who, who say yeah i know all the right answers i just haven't done them if it's that ever been you it's been me where i've said i why do i do the things that i know not to do Why don't I just follow the steps? I know, in fact, there's so many people going, God, I want you to reveal yourself. And it's like God would say, well, why don't you just do the things I've already told you to do? Begin to act in the way that I've revealed to you. And what you will find is that you will experience, you will know the truth because truth is experiential. And that verse ends with the sixth point I want to make today, that truth is liberating. Truth is freeing. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want to make this this statement today that the truth, when you live by it, will set you free from the prison of your own feelings. It'll set you free from feeling bound by your own feelings. I, I want to believe this to be true about God, but I'm just down today. When you do What God has called you to do, you will experience the truth and you will be set free from that. The truth will set you free from your factional, fractured thinking. Saying, I don't think I believe this, but the group I roll with does, and so I'm with them. It'll set you free from that, knowing that that you're actually aligning with God. And it really will set you free from your feed. It'll really set you free from the confirmation bias that we are constantly algorithmically exposed to. The truth is freeing. Number seven, as we come to a close, number seven, the truth is full of grace. The truth is full of grace. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul encourages us. He says, "I I want you to speak the truth in love. In John chapter one, it says, Jesus, he came from the father and he was full of grace and truth. Uh, I've heard it said this, that, that that grace is filled with truth and truth is filled with grace. They are intrinsically connected. That, that means that the truth is not cold, hard, and harsh. That the truth is not just cold, hard facts. The truth is not just uh, uncaring, unloving, you know, written there in black and white, and it doesn't, no, the truth is actually full of grace. And the more you see God's truth revealed, you understand how grace-filled he is. For instance, that he addressed when the man was lowered on a mat, the thing that mattered most before he went to the things that didn't matter as much. He started with what mattered most. Jesus, who said, I have just this limited amount of time on earth. He poured into a group of young men rather than trying to, to run around and, and solve every problem. It's amazing what he says at one point to his disciples and it's, it's offensive. He says this, the, the, the poor you will always have. It's this statement, well, did Jesus not care about poverty? No, no, he absolutely cared about poverty. He spoke many times about generosity, but what he also said is don't get so busy trying to solve the symptoms of the problems that exist in the world that you never address the real eternal matter that people need to know that salvation is found in nobody else and there's no other name under heaven by which they can be saved. That matters more than solving a temporary problem. (sighs) Truth is offensive. Jesus says to a group of people who are following him and, and who, have, who have deemed him celebrity status, they're like, I love this guy. And Jesus says, hey, guys, just so you know, if you want to follow me, following me is going to require taking up a cross daily, dying to yourself, and going where I go. And one by one, people are like, "Ooh, ooh, I don't know if I'm down for that. I just wanted to follow this mob mentality and, and cheer for you. And Jesus turns to his disciples. He goes, well, what about you guys? Are you going to go too? And the answer is this. No, to who else would we go? No one else has the truth. They're captivated by this truth. They're going, even if it costs us, even if there's there's an offense to it, I want to grow. Why? Because truth is experiential and truth sets you free. And they found in Jesus, not a cold, hard, unloving teacher, but one who actually understood them and contextualized truth to them so they could following and i'm getting excited about this okay number eight here we go number eight truth is knowable it's knowable you you might you might have been agreeing with me all this way and then gone cool but it's it's for someone else it's for someone who understands more and is elite no no truth is knowable god is not looking to withhold from us what is true but for us to actually know him look what it says in the book of psalm chapter 25 and verse 5 psalm 25 and verse 5 speaking of this truth. Psalm 25 in verse five says this, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God my savior and my hope is in you all day long. Vivid Church, our hope is in Jesus, not just now. Our hope is in Jesus, not just when we feel like it. Our hope is in Jesus, not just when the faction that we find ourselves aligned with geopolitically or, or, or relationally or interpersonally says so. Our, the, the, the hope that is found in Jesus is not just when we see something hopeful on our Facebook feed. Our hope is in Jesus all day long, and he is guiding us in his truth in teaching us. If we can learn to build principle on principle, precept on precept, building an epistemological sound worldview, we're going to find ourselves able to address so many of the things that we presently might say, why doesn't the church talk more about this? And see that as we draw nearer to Jesus, the things of earth actually grow strangely dim, and the things that are true become more and more clarified. I told you I'd give you nine things. I've given you eight. Are there more things to be said of truth? Of course. That's why we're not doing a one-off. This is a whole series, and by the end of it, we'll only scratch the surface. But here's point nine, and with this I close. Jesus is truth. Jesus is truth. There's no truth to be found outside of Jesus. There's no hope to be found outside of Jesus. There's no love, no life, no joy that can be found outside of Jesus. Jesus is truth. In John chapter 14, in verse 6, he defined himself this way. He said to those who would listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What an exclusive, objective, offensive, authoritative, eternal, experiential, freeing, grace-filled, and knowable reality Jesus says, I'm the truth. Jesus is objective. He's offensive. He's authoritative. He's eternal, experiential, freeing, grace-filled and knowable. And he's drawing us to himself. Each and every time I've sat with my kids and tried to work through a mathematical concept, we find ourselves in this dilemma. I say, well, why did you put this answer? They say, well, because it's it's the right answer. I said, It's not what I ask you. Like, how did you get to that conclusion? Like, well, I memorized it. No, 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 don't memorize it. Show me how you did it. Show me where where you made those decisions. And it 100% of the time, which is mathematical, has been that they did not know how to show how they came up with the answer. Why? Because we start with memorizing one times one equals one and two times two equals four and three times three equals nine. We start by memorizing things but we need to actually understand the concepts. Here's what I'm I'm saying to us today. Let's learn to show our work. Let's learn to go through the meticulous, sometimes painstaking or frustrating process of of actually saying, I know this to be true because of this. I I don't just know this to be true because I memorized it. I don't just learn and memorize rules that matter to God. I've learned to understand what he's like. I love what it says in Jeremiah. Don't let wise people boast because they're wise or strong people because they're strong let our boast be this i know and understand god i've learned to actually show my work and so truth does not begin by 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 memorizing things truth begins by knowing jesus paul says in first corinthians 2 2 when i was amongst you i just resolved to know nothing else except for jesus He goes, I just resolved. I wasn't going to teach you a whole bunch of concepts and give you lists to memorize and and teach you uh, philosophical concepts that would apply to everything. I just want you to know Jesus. And that's my heart for us today as a church, that we would simply know Jesus. I know for someone you're like, oh, I was hoping this message would end with answering some of those blanks. Why doesn't the church talk more about this? Why don't we address more of these things? Why don't this is not, uh, not like a we're not Wikipedia, we're just trying to walk with Jesus. That there's facts that can be found all sorts of places, but but there's nothing like a friendship with Jesus to walk us, to lead us, and to guide us into truth. So, I want to pray for you today. If you don't know Jesus, this would be the moment where you draw near to him. And if you do know Jesus, let's draw nearer still. Let's not let it be that we say, well, I know, I know Jesus loved me. Remember the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible told me so, I just know. I'm like, cool, can you show me your work? Don't just say it because you, you read it, say it because you can, you can walk it out and show it. God wants us to understand what truth is we hope that you enjoyed this edition of the vivid church podcast for more information about vivid church check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on instagram at vivid.church have the best day